you're not selling a website anymore. You're selling a solution to your client's problems. The website is just part of that. And when you communicate that, you got clients who are willing to pay a lot more um, and they're willing to listen to your expertise because you're not building them a website. You're offering them a solution to their problem. And that's what they really, truly want. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast. This week is a little bit of a landmark. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. We just reached the 1,000 download mark. You know what? Let's take a second. Let's celebrate wherever you are. Let, just just give us a clap, you know? Give us a woohoo. Give us a holler. Give us a, a holler back at your boy. Whatever you want to do. But this is exciting, and it, it's because of you. It's because you've shown up week in, week out to listen to me and to listen to the awesome guests that I have. And so, you know what? It means a lot to me if you could take a second and share this with somebody that might need it. You know, the world is a little bit crazy. We've talked about that on this podcast and people are looking for extra ways to make money and web design is one of the perfect ways to do that in this season right now because oddly enough, web design is not slowing down in the market. I have web designer friends who are busier than they have ever been. This week, we have an amazing guest with us. Her name is Erin Flynn. Here's the cool thing about Erin. Erin only works two to four hours a day, max five days a week. And from that amount of work, she's able to make over six figures a year. It's pretty inspiring. And she's going to tell you how she does it starting right now. So happy to have Erin Flynn uh, with us today. Erin is a web designer herself who's been freelancing since 2012. Uh, she's also got some great resources out there for uh, all of us looking to up our game in web design or get started in the business. Um, she has a course called Streamline Design Profit um, that's just absolutely fantastic. It's got a lot of content um, that you can go through, figure out how to get a web design freelance business going. Um, she has her own site, erinflynn.com, with a ton of resources on there. Is a blessing to the web design community. So excited to have her on today. Erin, thank you so much for being with us. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> hey, so tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into freelance web design and your journey from start to where you are now. So it's a long story because I actually started in 1999 making my first website at 13. Um, my dad took me to a Microsoft front page class, which was like the cool new thing back in those days. And I just got completely hooked. So I sold my first website at around 17 in 2003-ish. Um, and then I kind of realized I could do that a little bit on the side during college. Um, but I turned it into an actual business, like my actual main source of income in 2012. Uh, I had worked for some other people. It wasn't really my thing. And so I started my own business, did not quite understand all of the actual business parts that go into running a full-time business. It's totally different than, you know, making a couple hundred dollars here and there with a freelance gig, like when you're, you know, doing something else. Um, but 2012, I started my business and then from there learned a ton. And now I try and share everything that I know with other 
web designers and freelancers so that they can progress much more quickly than I did without making all of the mistakes that I did. Tell us a little bit about that moment when you realize, like, I don't want to have a boss. I want to be my own boss. Like, what was the turning point in your life? I don't. I mean, okay, so that one job was horrible, but I've always done things like kind of crafty things or entrepreneurial things ever since I can remember. So back, if any of you are familiar with Etsy, it's pretty big now, but back in the old days, like it didn't exist. So I used to make websites and I had a consignment shop online where artists could sell their goods. And so I made my own website. Like artists would send me their stuff. I would sell it and ship it out and do all of that. And that was to make money like in high school. So I've always just kind of had this thing where I enjoy working for myself, but I didn't really realize it could make me a full-time income until I just had a horrendous job that I absolutely had to get out of and didn't really have a choice because the economy was not super great and there weren't a whole lot of jobs out there. You know, after looking for months, I finally was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. A friend from that horrible job was working somewhere else and her employers needed a website. And that just kind of like spawned the whole, okay, I'm going to try and do this. Like it was my actual full-time job working for myself. So it wasn't so much as I was like, I'm going to do this. And this is what I've always wanted to do with my life. It was just kind of something I fell into, but had naturally been going towards the whole time. Got it. So it was more of like, you kind of had this sense of entrepreneurship and ownership in your own regard. And then pieces kind of fell into place and it just made the most sense in that season of your life. Totally. It was just total. It seemed like by chance, but you know, maybe it was you know, some grand design that this is what I should have always been doing. Tell us about those first few years. What did, what did that look like for you as you were kind of figuring out the ropes of going out on your own for, uh, you know, your full-time career? Well, so I didn't quite understand how to price things properly. <laughs> and so my first year in business, um, I was selling websites for around $500, which when I was doing it on the side, seemed like a nice chunk of money, you know, an extra 500 bucks here or there. Sounds great. When you're doing websites full time for $500, you have to do a lot of websites in order to make a living. And I was living in Indiana at the time where the cost of living is much lower than where I live now. But still, like, that's a lot of websites when you are looking at $500 per website. Plus, even if you're working for yourself from home, there is overhead in a business. Not a whole lot necessarily, but there were expenses. So after my first year in business, I only made about $12,000, which was just like, oh my gosh, like I've made over 20 websites. I've done all of this work. I, you know, I hustled my butt off and I've got almost nothing to show for it. So that was a big wake up call for me in terms of having to get not only my pricing right, but also my work life balance, which is kind of doesn't really happen, but trying to like pull that into alignment too, because I mean, 20 plus websites a year is a lot for one person. On your website, you really promote this idea of, of simple success. And, and I love this because I think right now there's, there's so much of this, um, I don't know, promotion of the grind and the hustle and you got to sweat and you got to work weekends and you got to stay up all night and, and you're really kind of bumping up against this idea. And, and it sounds like you were able to find success 
by changing your mentality to say, no, I'm not going to kill myself by trying to build this freelance business. Like I'm going to be make smart decisions and do smart things. So tell me a little bit about that transformation process and what you found as far as setting good boundaries in your life, um, what that's done for you and your business. You know, like that whole hustle thing is like, it, it sounds like so great in theory because you do have periods of hustle in your business. Like when you're first getting started, there's a lot to do. And yeah, you've got to put in some hours. If you're launching something, you got to put in some hours. But when that hustle becomes your day to day, it's no longer a hustle. It's a burnout. Like you are fast on the track to not being able to do anything um, because you will be so exhausted. And so I think it's important to understand how hustle can play a positive role in business, but it's not a constant state of business. And so much of what's talked about is basically wake up at 4 a.m., don't ever sleep, do this, do that, do a million different things. When in reality, what happens is you try to do so many different things that you can't possibly do anything well. Most people are not productive all day long. They're certainly not productive for like these crazy 16 hour hustle days. Most people are productive generally around about three hours per day. Like I'm talking about creative productivity. You can do like some admin data entry, whatever stuff, you know, during other times. But when it comes to actually doing your best work, that's typically a very limited amount of time. Some people listening are going to argue and say, but I've had 16 hour days where I made a website and, you know, I just loved it. And I, you know, didn't even look up until it was 10 p.m. or whatever. Those days happen, but they're not your every day. If you realistically look at your energy and your creative um, energy every single day, I would say three, four hours for most people. And so when you leverage that time into your best work, into your billable work, into what's actually going to move you forward, you don't have to hustle constantly because you're putting all of your efforts on what really matters in your best time, which means you can get something done in four hours that might otherwise take you eight or 12 because you are using that time productively. I, I'd, I'd love it if you can just share about what that looks like for you practically from day to day and week to week. Talk about your schedule and, and, and how you keep yourself as um, efficiently productive as you possibly can. Yeah. So most days I typically work about two to four hours, um, which sounds a little crazy now because in the early days, I was definitely working way more. And I do want to disclaim that if I'm launching a new program or I've got, you know, a client that's launching something, sometimes like those days are longer, 100%. Again, there are periods of hustle in business. But in my normal day-to-day, -day, I would say probably 80 to 90% of my time, I have a two to four hour workday. And what that typically looks like is leveraging my best creative time. So in the morning, that's when my brain is like firing in terms of content or great ideas the best. So I'll get up in the morning and have maybe two hours of really creative content time where I don't open my email, I don't look up social media, I just get these things done and out of my head and that's when my best, best work comes out. And then I do like the little email, some admin stuff, and then I'll do like the more tedious business type things but it's those first hours that for me are the best. Now, other people might be, you know, night owls. They might have their best creative time at different times of the day. Um, but for me, when I get those 
couple of hours in the morning to do the things that really move my business forward or that make great results for my clients, like in terms of design, first thing, my day is set. Like after that, I am pretty much good to go. Just a little bit of admin here and there. And then I can like leave and go hike or ski or do whatever I want to do. How did you figure out what your best time of the day was? Because I know a lot of people are probably thinking like, oh man, I don't, I don't know if there's any time of the day that's my most creative moment. Like what would, what did that process look like for self-discovery? It's, I mean, of course it's different for everybody, but for me, I think it was just finding um, when I could really like just settle in and focus the best. So uh, some of this has to do, it's actually scientific. It has to do with like decision fatigue and getting worn out throughout the day. Um, what decision fatigue is, is like throughout the day you're made, you have to make different decisions like all day long. And so for a lot of people by the end of the day, they're just like, they're done. So, you know, they've had a long work day, whatever they get home and dinner. It's just like way too much to think about because they've been making decisions and using their brain all day long. So for a lot of people, morning is a really good creative time, um, because they haven't yet had to think about all of those things or get distracted by social media or email or things like that. Um, however, other people get through their day and they're like, all right, my day is done. And now I have my creative time. I don't have to do anything else except just do what I want to do. So it's really just feeling out what works best for you and trying to fit it into your schedule. Of course, if you've got kids or a day job, things are going to be more difficult. So the best thing you can do is try to reset your brain through going through a walk, taking a shower. How many great ideas do you get in the shower? Like, like that's where, you know, your brain starts working. Um, just trying to do some type of a reset where you're totally not engaged in anything work-related or distracting like social media and your ideas just flow. And that will help you reset your brain at any time of the day if you don't have the luxury of really, you know, choosing those times as much as, uh, you know, if you're doing a full-time freelance. So you mentioned something in the most productive part of your day, like doing things that you knew helped you move your business forward. Like they were what was really pushing the needle. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of people are probably listening who are just getting started, who are going, what are the things that I can do within my freelance business that are the most helpful and are going to help me gain ground? So how, how did you figure those things out for yourself? And, and what type of advice would you give to people who are asking that question? It's tricky because when you're new, you don't always know what's going to be the best. It does take a lot of experimenting and kind of seeing what works in your business because every business is different. However, what you should focus on is what's billable. You need to make money in your business. If you're not making money and it's not a business, it's a hobby <laughs> and you need to get clients. That gives you billable work. So marketing and billable work are your top priorities, especially if you are new. So even though you may not know the exact marketing right now that's going to get you the best results, you should be spending time especially if you don't have clients lined up every single day doing some form of marketing. Although I would encourage you to stick to one type of marketing for at least three months so that you have measurable results. Because if you're going all over the place, you're not going to be able to measure whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, cold calling or whatever that's working the best for you. So choose marketing and stick with it for a while and measure the results versus the number of hours that you're putting in. But those are the two top things, marketing 
billable work. Those have got to be your focus when you're brand new. Um, I mean, they're your focus in business all the time because there's things that don't go away. You have to keep doing them. But as you progress through your business, marketing is going to get so much easier. It's going to, um, you know, you're going to know what works in terms of your marketing so that you no longer have to be like, okay, do I do Facebook, you know, for this quarter and see how that works? You're not then figuring out how Facebook works. Um, so it does get easier and you can spend less and less time doing it, especially as you get known and you get referrals. So it's something that you don't have to spend as much time on in the future, but you still kind of got to do it. Cause again, if you don't have clients, you don't have a business. Can you talk a little bit about what you found has been the most successful way to, to market for your own business and, and how that's changed maybe throughout different seasons, um, because I'm sure a lot of people are listening and going, man, I don't even know where to start. So um, what have you found personally that has been like home runs and what have you tried that maybe didn't didn't connect as well as you would hope, have hoped it to? So for me, referrals have always been the best source of um, clients for my business. So I started out, didn't ask as many um, for as many referrals as I probably should have, but Early on in my business, I think it was Matthew Kimberly. I um, he had like an article or something about reaching out to people, and I don't remember if it was specifically for um, marketing your business or if it was just like to make connections. I don't remember because this was like 2012 or 2013 ish. Um, but the basic premise was every week you reach out to three people. So you make a list of different people that you think would be good to know, you reach out to them. So I used that in order to get myself booked out. I would email people and say, hey, let's chat, or hey, you're a copywriter, you serve the same audience, let's refer clients to each other. I made those connections early on, and now I do essentially no marketing, and I have clients coming to me regularly that I have to turn away and send to my students because I just don't have the capacity to take them on. Um, so that has worked out extremely well for me. I have tried social media marketing in the past, um, and there's just such a learning curve with it. Plus you have to show up so much, um, in front of people that I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it's like a whole other industry to have to master on top of running your web design business. So social media marketing, I mean, there are social media marketing companies, like it's, it's like SEO is its own thing now. Like it's all um, separate stuff. So if you really want to do social media, don't be discouraged by it. But if you need clients, reach out to your network and you can start with family and friends and getting in touch with them and asking them for referrals. And that works fantastically if you're brand new. So tell me about how long it took from you having to like really hone in on marketing to now being at a place to where you're you're turning clients away. Um, how long, how long was that process and any kind of insight you can give to people who are like, I, I wish I was in that spot right now. It took probably about four years to really have just a stream of inquiries that I didn't have to worry about where I just went completely hands off with my marketing. Um, I should also disclaim that, you know, during that time I attended conferences, I made great relationships with people. I became a Genesis recommended developer. I was known enough in the industry. It wasn't just like I was sitting quietly with my business in a tiny little network. I was actively, 
you know, for four years getting out there. Um, and so I think that it's definitely a lot of work to build that up. Um, and I'm not going to lie. It takes a good amount of time. It's not super fast. It's not like posting on Instagram or Facebook, right? However, referrals are much more powerful than any Instagram post you can ever come up with. Because if Chris recommends me, whoever trusts Chris is going to automatically trust me. So that sale of a website that's several thousand dollars is basically already made. I don't have to convince this person, right? If I'm posting on social media, I've got to convince them that I am the person they should hire and they should spend X amount of money with me. So referrals, although they take longer, they are, I think, a stronger source of uh, getting clients than basically anything else you can do. I'd love for you to talk about uh, boundaries with with clients. Um, you you have a podcast episode where you talk about scope creep and um, also mention it a bunch on your website. Um, tell me tell me what that looks like for you. Well, now it looks like none, but it used to look like a ton. Oh my gosh! So in my early days. I needed money. And so here's the thing. If anybody's listening and they're like, oh, I have, you know, these needy clients, I have all of this scope creep. Don't feel bad about this. This is what we all go through. Like it's it's just kind of like a rite of passage, honestly, with any freelance business, because you don't know what boundaries to set until they've been violated. You don't know what you need to tell your clients until you didn't tell them and it's become an issue. So just understand, like, this is something we all go through. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just a learning experience. But for me, I got pretty early on, I set office hours because I was having clients call me on like a Sunday morning and ask me questions about their Facebook account, like their personal Facebook account. I'm like, this isn't even what I do. This has nothing to do with what you hired me for six months ago. Why are you calling me? And so I had to get really, really clear on office hours and that, you know, any work after X date after a project would have to be billed separately. So I set those in my first year of business. So thankfully working with a lot of clients in that first year uh, helped me get some boundaries in place pretty quickly. I'm just wondering, because I think the tendency as a freelancer is to think, well, if I set boundaries, then I'm going to piss clients off and they're all going to leave or I'm not going to get any others. But that I know personally is not the case. And it sounds like that wasn't the case for you either. Um, so talk about that. Were there any people who are like, if I can't call you at any hours of the night, then I don't want to be your client. No, not at all. In fact, I think they started respecting me better when I had office hours because they understood I was a real business. I think before kind of the assumption was, was that Erin's like doing this on the side. I don't know when she's available. I'll just call her whenever because I don't know. But once I really had office hours in place, once I was clear about what has to be paid for and what doesn't, they started realizing, okay, this is a business like any other. I can't just go to the grocery store at midnight in my town. There probably are people you know, who are listening who have 24-hour grocery stores. I do not. So I can't just go to the grocery store and buy something when I want. Can't just go get my hair cut when I want. Businesses are not typically 24-7. There are some exceptions, but for the most part, people expect office hours. They also expect to have to pay for work. They don't expect to go to the dentist and walk out of there with you having had a root canal and not be billed for it. So I think that it's important to understand that when you set those boundaries, you actually are treated better by your clients. And if anybody really has a huge issue that you're not available 24 seven, you probably don't want them as a client because they're just always going to be driving you up the wall. It's almost like a psychological 
thing it, it, when it comes to prices and and boundaries and the limits that you give a client. You know, like the higher your price, the more the perceived value is. The more they respect your time, the more you send, spit, put boundaries on what it is that you you are doing or not doing. The more highly they see you, and the more they respect you. So you know, it, it, it can be kind of a downward spiral if you just keep going down in prices and saying yes and yes to more things that you never initially agreed to. But when you're first getting started, it's so scary to think of, oh man, like if, what if I, what if I lose this client or what if they give me a bad review, you know, but I feel like what you're promoting is, is so important for people to understand that it actually helps you more than it hurts you. It totally does. And uh, on the pricing note, the lower your prices, the more you get micromanaged and treated as like a pixel pusher or an employee versus charging those premium prices where somebody comes to you and says, this is worth X amount. They must know what they're doing. Now, of course, you should actually know what you're doing. And when you're brand new, maybe you don't, right? But once you're like, I've got this, like I understand this process, I'm delivering great work to my clients, you should be charging a good price for that and treated like the expert that you are. If you're still, you know, getting like the runaround and being like, move this two pixels to the left and I'm changing this for the 50th time, you are not positioning yourself as an expert, you're positioning yourself as their employee, and you're always going to have this relationship where they're they're the boss, they're the expert, and you're just the one with the technical skill. And that's not a very good place to be if you want to make a living. Yeah, I, I love that. And and I think it, it comes down to to understanding the relationship between you and the client and having a respect for yourself, you know, to understand that when somebody's reaching out to you, they're they're they are looking for your expertise. And so if you acquiesce, then that communicates to them, maybe you're not the expert that they thought you were. Um, but if you come in and go, hey, no, here's why. Um, this is a, what I've done is the best decision. Like it really puts you into a place of authority and and you have something that's, you're really doing what's best for the client because even if you're even if you're first getting started, you've probably spent more time working on uh, web design or design or whatever development than than the client coming to you. And so, making sure that every step of the way you're communicating, I'm the expert, and not being demanding or or you know uh, uh, overbearing, but at the same time standing standing your ground and knowing how to communicate the story of like, this is what's best for you. I'm doing what's best for you. Totally. And I think that's uh, where things get tricky, especially like in the web design world uh, and with developers too, because when people say they want a website, they want to tell you what the website should be. You're just the technical person putting it together. Right. And so you might know what's best in terms of, you know, the right plugins to use or the right, you know, platform to use, but they're going to dictate every single thing that goes on the website when chances are you know better what will work on their website than they do. So when I, I always tell my students, you're not selling a website anymore. You're selling a solution to your clients' problems. The website is just part of that. And when you communicate that, you've got clients who are willing to pay a lot more um, and they're willing to listen to your expertise because you're not building them a website. 
you're offering them a solution to their problem. And that's what they really, truly want. And so it's just this different in like how you position yourself as either I'm making a website or I'm solving your problem. Talk about maybe some hard situations where you've gone back and forth with a client and they are just not having a decision that you've made. What do you do in that moment? Do you say, okay, that's fine. Well, I just want to get this thing done. Or, or do you keep pushing? Like, what does that look like for you? What would you communicate to somebody who's um, struggling with that? So in the past, when I uh, was newer, I would typically let the client walk all over me. Um, And that's how you end up with like these horrible, horrible websites that you don't even want to put your name on. Right. Um, But, you know, there comes a time where you're just like, they're not seeing you as an expert and you can only fight so much. Right. It's not worth your time to fight more. And so in the past, I would kind of give up. But after repositioning myself, after understanding that I was the expert here, um, I totally changed how I present things to clients. Anyhow, I used to give them, here's a whole bunch of different mock-ups, choose one, and then we'll revise it like 50 times. Right. That's how we all start, which is fine. But now what I do is I'm like, here is what it should look like. One option. And I'm going to walk you through why. And I get maybe teeny tiny revision requests. Most of the time, zero, because they understand why I've done what I've done. And I presented them with what I think is the best answer to their problem. I haven't said, here are a whole bunch of maybe solutions. You pick one and we'll go from there. Maybe it'll work. I said, this is it. This is why. And, you know, at the most, we typically have like a copy change, not even a design change. Yeah, I love that. And again, it it goes back to communicating your confidence in your own expertise. You know, like if I give you 20 options, that communicates, I'm not sure about my own ability to give you what you need. And so at that point, it sets the client on um, the offense and they start going, okay, what else about this do I not like? Versus like, here's what it is. And, you know, let, you know, this is what I think we should go with. So, um, so I love that mentality. Um, you, you mention a lot on your website, um, the idea of how success looks different for different people. Um, and I, and I think that's really important because being a freelancer in a lot of ways is, can be super discouraging, you know, um, especially when you're first getting started, you get more, um, no's than you get any yeses. Um, and sometimes a no looks like people just don't get back to you. Um, and so how do you define success or how would you encourage somebody to look at what a successful season of web design would look like for them? Here's, here's the magical ideal of success in my world, which may or may not be what is somebody else's. But for me, it's making enough money to live the life that I want. It's working on projects that I love doing, like ones that I'm excited about working on, clients that I love working with. And it's having enough free time, again, to like do what I want to do. Because to me, we've already talked about like, I'm not like the hustle, hustle, hustle all the time person. I don't want to make millions of dollars and never enjoy my life. I would rather make a good, reasonable, comfortable amount of money, but have the free time to go do what I want. And so for other people that might look totally different from me, they might not ski, you know, in the mornings, they might spend time with their kids. They might be a stay at home parent. They might um, have something else they're passionate about, maybe volunteering or some other hobby. Um, They might, you know, just have a totally different view of what that is. But I think what it comes down to is 
having the freedom, both monetarily and time-wise, to enjoy your life. That's the most important thing to me. And I think it should be for everyone. There will be some people who disagree. And then um, enjoying the projects that you work on. You don't want to hate what you do. And yes, sometimes it's a job. Sometimes you're not always super thrilled. That happens. It's a business, right? We, As much as we want to love our business 24-7, there are rough days. There are, you know, there's taxes. There's stuff we don't like doing. But if you can enjoy it, you know, 70, 80% of the time, I think you're doing really, really well. I wonder um, if you would have any any simple tips or tricks that you found for people who are just getting started, who are, who are trying to find clients or streamline their workflow, or even like you've mentioned before, like prioritize their day. Um, what advice would you have for somebody? All right. So for finding clients, my best advice is figure out who you help and how you help them first. So, um, when I, when I mean, uh, talking about like a niche, I don't mean you're going to help, um, doctors and nutritionists. I mean, you're going to help some group of people that has a problem. So it's more something like course creators or, um, small business, like uh, small businesses that, you know, need to get local clients in. Right. Um, so that's the problem. And when you address the problem, instead of like an industry, it becomes much more clear. Then you tell everyone, you know what you're doing. And I know how annoying it is when we've got like Stacy from high school being like, Hey, do you want lip gloss or leggings or whatever all over Facebook? Right. Gets annoying, but we know that Stacy's selling lip gloss and leggings. We know it. So we have to toot our own horns a little bit more and say, I offer websites for course creators, or I can help local businesses get more traffic in the door, right? When we solve those problems, people know what we do and they can refer others to us or they can hire us because it's much more clear than I make websites. Okay, great. What does that do for me? I don't know, right? So that's the first thing you got to do is you got to get clear on who you help and how you help them and tell everybody about it. And then when it comes to systems, Stop reinventing the wheel every single time. Once you know the problem you're solving, come up with a clear process on every website that you create so that you can follow it. You know how long it takes. You know what should be expected each part of the project. You understand what's involved. That way you can price correctly, you can schedule correctly, and your clients always know what's going on so they don't think that you've just disappeared and get angry because you have a clearer process outlined for them. So again, if you don't have, if you're not booked out, if you don't know where your next client is coming from, marketing has got to be part of your every single day. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it sucks. I know we don't like doing it, but it gets so much easier when you start practicing it. So that can look, you know, totally different, um, to different people, but that could be emailing people and saying, Hey, I see that you are a copywriter who serves the same audience. Let's get virtual coffee, right? If they're not local. So let's just connect. You don't have to go into this with, we have to refer clients to each other, but you're just making a connection so that now that copywriter knows, okay, Aaron makes websites for course creators, all right? So if I meet a course creator that I'm doing copy for and she needs some website help, I can send her to Aaron, right? You're just making these connections. And other days that might look like your social media platform of choice. So maybe you find that LinkedIn is great for who you want to attract. So you spend time on LinkedIn and that's totally fine, but you've got to be consistent with whatever marketing that you're doing. And you've got to, got to, got to, got to make time for that every day. And I promise it gets easier. 
such great advice. Aaron, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and, and sharing, sharing the wisdom that you have. Can you tell us one more time how uh, somebody might get connected with you? Yeah, my main website is just AaronFlynn.com. I've got a podcast. I've got links to all my social media and everything there if you want to follow me. And if you're interested in my course for web designers, it's at StreamlineDesignProfit.com. Awesome. Well, I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Until then, please go visit Aaron's site. Thank you so much, Aaron. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. Wow, what what great insight. I hope that was encouraging to you. I hope that you saw in Aaron's journey the ability to do something like that yourself. And the truth is, is you don't have to hustle and grind and kill yourself trying to reach levels of success in your business like everybody is talking about right now. You can do it in a way that is sustainable and that you don't have to break your back doing. So take what she had to say and learn from it, implement it in your business, whether you're just getting started or if you've been doing this for a long time as a web designer or a web developer, whatever it is that you're doing. And let me know about it. Let me know about the success that you are getting from listening to these amazing guests. Next week, we have another episode coming out with an amazing person and his name is Lee Blue. I can't keep it a secret from you. You don't have to wait to find out. Lee Blue, if you wanna look him up, he runs a program called Double Stack where he is teaching people how to make more money than they thought possible as web developers. You're not gonna wanna miss it. It's coming up quicker than you thought. Can't wait to see you next Tuesday.